Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Rah, rah for the new year. Um, I did not choose Daniel chapter 8. Uh, it's just, it's what comes next. So this is not a chapter of goals and resolutions. Uh, instead, this is a chapter of fear and terror, uh, to be perfectly honest, um, including at the end of it, uh, we get Daniel absolutely terrified by the vision that he has seen. That happened, if you were here two weeks ago, that happened in that vision then. It, it's going to happen several times, really. Uh, there's a lot of scary visions in Daniel. And yet, through the fear and terror of this vision, and it is honest about the evil that is coming for the people of God, ultimately we see the hope. And so ultimately, this will be a good year for a, new, a good word for a new year, especially a year that many of us enter with a degree, if not of fear and terror, at least of uncertainty and anxiety and wondering what will happen. And so we see here that, that God knows what will happen, and we see hope coming at the end of it. So let's hear God's word from Daniel chapter 8. I'll be reading the whole chapter. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. Page. Uh, and I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high. But one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out, out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. 
When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does. Destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you know all the scary things that are, have happened, that are happening, and that are going to happen. We pray now, as we reflect on your word, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that we may see what you have for us today, that this would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our hearts, that it may change the way that we think, feel, and live today and in weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So at the, uh, I mentioned already at, at the beginning of the year, a popular thing to do is to make goals and resolutions, and those are certainly good things to do. Another popular thing to do at the beginning of the year is to make predictions. What, what will happen in 2021? But I think that most of us learned in 2020 that the making of predictions is a dangerous business. And uh, so if you read now of uh, people, you know, columnists and TV people and all, as they're saying they're making their predictions for 2021, at least the ones who are honest are willing to say, yeah, if I look back at my predictions for 2020, not so good. Didn't see that year coming. And, and that's just, that's our human nature, that we do not predict things very well. We are often surprised by events. And when those events come that surprise us, especially when they are bad, our temptation is to crumble in the face of evil, to, to, to fall into, into paralysis, to spin down in cycles of anxiety, or sometimes to lash out in anger or to turn to, to human stratagems and human people to say, come, save us from these problems. This is more than I can handle. But what we find in God's word this morning is that in Daniel chapter 8, we find the clear message that God knows all things. 
So even though we may be surprised by evil, we may be surprised by unexpected events, we may be surprised by evil viruses, we may be surprised by evil dictators, we may be surprised by just people in our lives who hurt us and do hurtful things and abandon us, but God is not surprised. And God here shows in, chapter, in Daniel chapter 8 how much he knows. Because here we have something different from what we've seen before in Daniel. You might have been listening to this and thinking, man, this is, this is kind of, I've heard a lot of this before. Here's another vision. Instead of a statue of different colors or different beasts coming out of the sea, now I hear of a ram and a goat. And, you know, here we go again. Like, Daniel, could you say something new? But what's different here in Daniel, what's different about this vision, is that in all the ones in the past, I've said things about it like, you know, we don't, we have people, scholars have some theories about what this might mean or who this might apply to. And, you know, they're pretty good guesses, but it's not really the point. The point is that God is in charge and evil kingdoms will rise and fall. Well, here in Daniel chapter 8, it tells us exactly what it applies to. Exactly. I mean, it names, it names names. The kingdom of the Medes and Persians, the king of Greece. The thing to realize is this was written before any of these people were a thing. So much so that people who people will look at this, like different scholars will look at this and say, this, this could not be written when it says it is written. Because the prophecy is too good and too perfect. But we believe in faith that, that the Bible is true and that it's inspired. And there's actually some pretty good evidence to say that Daniel probably was written when we believe it was written, that this was written in the third year of King Bel Belshazzar, as it says. And so what that means is that God predicted the future to Daniel precisely. And that means that God knows everything that is going on. And that means that in the face of evil, in the face of surprises, we do not have to crumble. We do not have to give in to fear. We do not have to give in to shock and anger. But instead, we can cling to God in the midst of evil, for he is our only hope. So let's see some more, some more details of how God knows the future so perfectly here. And there's three aspects of this that we can see that give us, I mean, in a sense, all this has already happened, but it still has relevance for us today because it teaches us that God knows evil precisely. And it teaches us that God makes kingdoms rise and fall. And it teaches us that God has set a time limit on evil. It will not last forever. So first, that God knows evil precisely. The, the precision of this is amazing. So I said, this happened, so this happened, if you see in, in 8.1, it says, in the third year of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to Daniel. So that was probably, that was should be 548 B.C. was the third year of King Belshazzar. We know that from, from Babylonian records. That would have been 548 B.C. Well, then he sees this ram with one horn longer than the other, which the Gabriel, the interpreter, tells him, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And this was the Medo-Persian Empire that came together, and it reigned from... Uh, when did it rain? I was trying to write down my dates here. Uh, the Medo-Persian Empire was from 539 B.C., so starting about 10 years after Daniel had this vision, all the way until 331 B.C. For about 200 years, 
this empire ruled over the world. And it was the Medo-Persian Empire. The Persian part was much stronger. The uniting of the Medes and the Persians, hence the ram with one horn that was longer than the other. And it was the greatest kingdom the world had ever seen, ruling over that whole area of the world that is now Iraq and Iran and all of that area. It was ruled by this Medo-Persian Empire that was dominant. Like it says here, the ram that just went wherever it pleased and nobody could stop it. But then, now Daniel is speaking of something that would happen 200 years in the future. The king of Greece coming as a goat from the west that did not touch the ground. Because in 333, Alexander the Great, or 334, Alexander the Great began his conquest of the world, which conquered the entire 200-year Persian Empire in just three years from 334 to 331 BC, and Alexander the Great just leveled the world. And then suddenly he died, and his kingdom was split up among his four generals, hence the ram, or the goat with the horn that turns into four horns. Again, keep in mind, this is all stuff that is 200 years in the future when Daniel is writing this down. We know that the four, the four generals of Alexander the Great split up his kingdom, and out of one of those that developed the Seleucid uh, which I probably just mispronounced, but I'm trying. Uh, the Seleucid dynasty had a part of that, that former kingdom of Alexander the Great. And then in the 100 BC, about the year 175, there came a king from that Seleucid dynasty called Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Do you know what Epiphanes means? Antiochus just sounds like a good old school king kind of name. Epiphanes means God manifest. This king called himself God Manifest. As it says here, where'd it go? The great king, his power shall be, uh, da, 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 where the king of bold face, this is in verse 23. A king of bold face, one who understands riddles shall arise. Verse 25, by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own, man, he, in his own mind he shall become great appropriate for a man who calls himself God manifest. And Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes was a terrible tyrant. And he went, the, the Jewish people by this time under the Persian Empire, they had been allowed to resettle Jerusalem, to reclaim the land, to rebuild their temple. But Antiochus would have none of it. He went and desecrated the temple. He even went so far as to sacrifice a pig on the altar of the temple. He set up a statue to Zeus in God's holy place. He killed the high priest, very likely the prince of hosts, in the year 170 B.C. And then 2,300 days later, about six years, uh, the, the Maccabean revolt led by Judah Maccabee, what's commemorated in the festival of Hanukkah, they revolted against Antiochus. Antiochus died, not by any human hand. He died of a bowel disease that struck him down from the inside. Judah Maccabee cleansed the temple and rededicated it in the year 164 BC. And all of these things had come to pass. So God knows evil precisely. All of these things line up with exactly what happened, even though they were written down 400 years before the events actually happened. So what does that mean for us? If God knows evil precisely, Okay, that's, that's cool, right? That's cool about Antiochus and Cyrus and the Medo-Persians and Alexander the Great and 
God knew it all, but what does that mean for us? And I'll tell you one thing it, it means for me. In, in the year of, uh, as we've gone through 2020 and all the challenges that, is, that has been, and as I've talked to people, uh, especially people, you know, who aren't from around here or other, other pastors in the area, and they're like, man, how has this gone with a, a new church in 2020, like trying to get a new church started? Like, that's got to be really hard, right? And one of the things I've said over and over is I've come back to the line from the hymn. We've come this far by faith, trusting in the Lord. And if we have come, if we started this church on faith that God was at work, it was an act of faith then. Even in the midst of evil, it's an act of faith now. If our faith in God was good enough in easy times, if God carried us through to obey him and love other people in easy times, he can carry us through in hard times as well. He can carry us through in the midst of evil because he is not surprised by evil. And so my encouragement to you is to keep your faith in God. Keep relying on him even in the midst of evil times. Whatever may happen in the year of 2021, I certainly hope that it will be a better year than 2020. I hope that the virus will dissipate soon, that things will return to at least some semblance of normal much sooner rather than later. But if it doesn't, if new evils come up, if things just fall apart in our nation or in the world or whatever, know that God is not surprised. And you can keep your faith in him. You can keep doing the things you've been doing. You can read his promises in the word. You can join together with other believers to, re to, to, to read his word, to meditate on it, to rest in that, to trust God's promises, to give us faith for hard times because he knows evil precisely. We also see here that God makes kingdoms rise and fall. Do you catch even, even about Antiochus IV, this great king of bold face and power, it says in verse 22, well, first it says in verse 22, not about Antiochus, but first about the four kingdoms, they shall arise from his nation, but not his power. Yes, nations rise and fall, but God knows that power is not going to be the same. And then in verse 24 about Antiochus, his power shall be great, but not by his own power. And then again at the end, he shall rise, even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken like that, but not by no human hand. So even as we see, as we feel rocked by the world around us and the kingdoms that rise and fall, we know that God is the one who is making that happen. And so we need to put our faith in God, not in any particular kingdom or human leader in this world. This is the, the message of Daniel here. It's a message of comfort. In the, it's a message of like warning. Yeah, evil is going to come and it's going to be really bad. Even after Daniel, your people, even after they get out of this captivity in Babylon, they go back and restore the sanctuary, it's going to be destroyed again. It's going to be desecrated even worse than before. And yet, continue to trust in God. Do not put your hope in human strategies or human stratagems or people, or anything else, but put your hope in God. Put your hope in prayer, in asking God to change things, in asking God to change you. Put your hope in his word and his promises. Put your hope in your relationships with other people, with the community of God, and worshiping together with them. So it's, it's a, a warning that, that this is going to happen, an encouragement of hope, 
but also a warning not to put our faith in anything other than God, but to trust him because he is the one who makes kingdoms rise and fall. But then the greatest hope here, the most encouragement, is that God puts a time limit on evil. And here he puts a precise time limit on evil. And even the heavenly voices are questioning as they see the desecration of the sanctuary, as they see the sacrifice being put away, God's sanctuary being defiled. Verse 13, I heard a holy one speaking, and another, one holy, another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and house to be trampled underfoot? Like, God, what is going on? How long is this going to go? But God has put a time limit on evil. He said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. And we see in the precise, as I already I said, in the, in the outflow of history, after six years of Antiochus' rule and desecration of the sanctuary, the Maccabean revolt cleansed it and rededicated it to God's service. But then, only 150 years after that, a short amount of time, yeah, compared to when Daniel was giving this vision. Then we get Christmas. And we get the ultimate king, the one we saw in Daniel chapter 7, the one coming on the clouds of heaven. We see Jesus coming because evil's day is done. God has put a time limit on evil. He put a time limit on a particular evil then. He puts a time limit on particular evils now. And he has put a time limit on ultimate evil for the end of time. This time is not going on forever. But he promised us, we saw it in Daniel chapter 7, the ultimate king coming on the thrones of heaven. We celebrate it, the coming of Jesus at Christmas. We saw it last week in Revelation chapter 12 with the woman and the dragon. That God has won. That Jesus is reigning over the earth and he will bring evil to an ultimate end. Because there is a time limit on evil. So we do not have to quake in the face of evil. We can see the evil and know that God is in charge. That God knows precisely the evil that is happening. That God is the one who makes kingdoms rise and fall. And that God has put a time limit on evil. He has put a time limit on the evil virus. It will not be with us forever. And he has put a time limit on evil in the world period. And one day he will make all things new. And so what do we do? What do we do knowing that God has put a time limit on evil? We put our faith in him, not in any human princes, not in our own cleverness, but we put our faith in him and ask Jesus to be our king. Say, Jesus, we keep our allegiance to you, King Jesus. And we also do what Daniel did at the end. Verse 27, I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So even if we don't understand all the details of evil, we know that God does. And his call to us is to rise and go about the king's business, which for Daniel was just his ordinary work. We're to do our ordinary work, doing our jobs well, caring for our families well. And we're to be about our king's business, our King Jesus, loving others well, sharing his good news with other people, inviting other people to come and experience the wonders of worship and the goodness of being in the community of God's people, the healing and forgiveness that is offered. We go about the king's business and that is our testimony that God is in charge and that evil 
cannot win the day. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love to us. We thank you for your promise that evil will not win, that you know everything that is happening, but you have put a time limit on it. We pray that you would sink this word deep into our hearts, that it may be a, a transforming encouragement for us today and in the days to come, that we may keep our faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.